Welcome to Finding Home. I'm Scott Harris, your host. Here, we start with a simple question. What does home mean to you? For 20 years, I've been immersed in the residential properties that speak to buyers and sellers in New York City. And I've discovered that home is much more than brick and mortar. Home really means discovering your true calling. I speak with passionate entrepreneurs, creators, and leaders about what drives and inspires them to follow their dreams and makes the world a better place. Welcome back to Finding Home with me, Scott Harris. I'm so happy to be here. This episode, we get to talk about being funny, which is something that I think I have a pretty big hang up on. And I talk about this with Susan Korn today. Susan is an American stand-up comedian, writer, actress, and producer from New York. She hosted a nationally te- televised talk show on Lifetime called Live from Queens. And long after, she was a member of the Groundlings Comedy Improv Group and part of performing with the Upright Citizens Brigade and doing stand-up. She is the co-host of Relationships Are a Motherfucker, which can be heard on Sirius XM Radio. It's a podcast that I love and it is so funny. They've included guests, Larry David, Dennis Leary, Susie Essman, Gilbert Gottfried. And we get into it. We talk about being funny. We talk about go figure. We talk about relationships, why, how they work, how they don't work, what it's like to be funny. In my case, maybe what it's like to struggle with not being as funny as I want to be. We also talk about where relationships and real estate come together and where perhaps real estate can break relationships apart or make them stronger. I wonder also about who's more difficult in a relationship, men or women? Well, I don't think we have a great answer yet on that one. That's going to have to be hashed out a little bit more in other places too. But this is a really fun conversation. I was so happy to get to talk to Susan, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here we go. I'd like to welcome Susan Korn to the podcast. Susan, how you doing? Good. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great. It's raining where you are. It's sunny where I am. That's that's my life in a nutshell. Is that right? It's just yeah. No, the rain's following me. I, I. I find that very hard to believe. Nah, I'm just kidding. How I, are you? I'm doing really well. It's It's been one of these summers where all these crazy things are happening, and I'm just excited to see them happen. And Really? Yeah. Like, you know, the, we, were on, we were on Good Morning America last week. That was an exciting thing. I saw that. You look so straight on it. So is straight good? Like, you know, you seem not, like a real real estate broker. I'm too, I think I'm too serious. I think I'm too serious. That's that's kind of why I need funny people, more funny people in my life. Like yeah, you know. everyone thinks that until they get somebody funny in their life, and then they're not so happy. Why is that? I don't know. We're annoying. Well, maybe I'm just talking about myself. Yeah, I, I I'm definitely the funnier of of the two in my relationship, and we make each other laugh. But I I would have to say that if someone said who's funnier. If it were a competition with you? With me, and that's kind of wow. That's kind of sad. <laughs> I need to, I do you need think to there's always 
Would your wife say that? I think so. I think we have very, we, we have some, we laugh at the same things, which is important. Well, that's good. But that's I, I want to dive, I want to dive right in to, okay. because this, I think this does relate to being serious also. Why, I guess the question is this, who cursed in your house growing up? Because it strikes me that cursing is definitely part of your comedy. At least not really. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of loud and annoying, and I sometimes curse, um, but I didn't really curse when, when I do stand up, which is interesting. Oh, because you know, I've heard that cursing is a sign of intelligence. Actually. Well, Jerry Seinfeld doesn't think that. He thinks it's a sign of being dumb. Yes. And what do you think? I, I, I think cursing can be very funny at times if used in the right circumstance. Yeah, my, my kids, uh, it seems like we listen to a lot of stand-up uh, or at least podcasts where, you know, I, I listen to a ton of things with, um, you know, like Mark Maron. And he's yeah, filthy. I know, I love always, it. My kids are so, like, Daddy, he said the F word. You know, they're very aware of it. And it's, right. I wish he, at least on the podcast, would be more clean just because I, I want to laugh and listen to him while we're driving. And well, I will tell you that I never, ever cursed in front of my kids when they were young, never. In fact, they, they thought the word stupid was a curse word. You I couldn't think, say somebody was stupid. Yeah, I agree with that. I think saying, or, or shut up. Those are like simple things that we were like, no, just don't do that. That's no, a, I don't do that. But now that they're older, you know, all, all bets are off. I see. They hear me cursing every day. No holds barred. Exactly. Is it mostly about complaining or is it just, just fly? They just, the F bombs just fly. It's or more if somebody has wronged them or, or wrong or, or some situation in the world that's just exasperating and, and, and there's nothing left to say, but fuck them, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so cursing is not part of your stand up, but I do want to talk about how you started in, in standup. Like when was this, when did this start? When did you, when did it, when did you hit the, well, hit the I do think I will hit, a, hit the clubs. I, I will preface this by saying that I think that being funny is something that you are. Uh, my parents were funny. Yeah. Um, they weren't anywhere near the arts. I was the outlier. Um, but I think you're born with a certain sense of humor based on your culture that you grew up in. And I was a comedy nerd. You know, I went to comedy clubs in New York City when I was, you know, in my early teens and, and knew every comedian and, and, and really loved it. I, I loved, you know, Roseanne Barr and, uh, you know, Joan Rivers and George Carlin. And, you know, I, I, I would stay up late and watch Gary Shandling if Gary Shandling was hosting The Tonight Show. It's, you know, it's, it's like a, a whole world, like the art world or the real estate world or, you know, and I wanted to be in it. Was it like you stayed up late one night as a kid and you sort of found the late night show and somebody doing, like, what was, what was that first moment where you're like, you, you found yourself watching stand-up? Or was it like um, a record, we, or they opened for a band, or you know what? What was well, that first like, experience? Like you, my mother always played comedy albums for us. Okay. Um. So I grew up before I went to school listening to comedy in, albums in the morning. Like this yeah. was like 
instead listen of like the daytime, the driving radio show. Exactly. Stand up on a, on the record or tape deck or whatever. Amazing. And my parents also listened to it in the car. They would put in, you know, Jackie Mason or, you know, or like, you know. So that just, and were they like roaring? Was this just you? They laughed again at the same jokes. They listened to the tape over and over and would laugh in the right spots. But, but being funny in my family was highly rated, you know? So if you could make people laugh and I was the youngest child. Yeah. You gotta, you, were, you gotta be the, the, you gotta find a, a little, uh, I always say like in, in music, you know, if, if you got, if you're a drummer, you need to make space in the mix for the drums. And, and like, you had to find your, your sonic, space within the 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 community the, the conversation of the family and you're also ignored as the last kid so okay. in order to be noticed you got to either be funny or or misbehave or do something so i was funny um i remember at eight years old you know lying on the bed and trying to make my parents laugh and i remember the first joke i wrote was i'd lay on the bed and i'd go stop it stop it stop it a little to the left Eight years old. I mean, where did I come up with this? I have no idea. Sick. Yeah, You'd be appalled if your youngest child said that. I'm I'm watching. Uh, he is such a little manipulative. He's so funny and so cute. And like, he just knows how to get your attention. And sometimes you wonder, you know, is he, is he schizophrenic or is he just <laughs> trying different things? He's trying really what, hard. See what works. They're yeah. so smart, the youngest. They watch everybody else. They watch what works. They watch what don't doesn't work, and they figure it out. They're better for it. So you're listening to albums. I mean, what what? It's like by osmosis, he'll he'll hear phrases and then try them out. And you're like, where did you hear? Like, where did that come from? Because it's almost right, or it is. But right. It sounds like a you know 15 year old in a in a six year old body. It's incredible. It's, it's so great. And listening to these albums over and over again, and, and also in the, like, if you grow up in a Jewish household, yeah. culturally, there is this, you know, vaudevillian situation going on. Like my parents were both funny. They say things to make each other laugh. And I, I, I felt like it was very much a part of my culture growing up. And were your siblings funny? Um, time to time. Time to time, but not consistently. I got incredibly silent when you said that. They're funny. <laughs> they didn't get paid for it. And, and so you're you're you you get your way. Were you entertaining in in like school setting too? Were you the class clown that kind of thing? Well, I went to a public school, and there was a very high incidence of getting beaten up. So by the I teachers or by the kids? Oh, by the kids. Yeah. So, I mean, I had Phil Rosenthal on my, uh, my podcast and he went to high school with me and we reminisced about how you didn't go into the bathroom because you could get killed. And I realized at a certain point, if I was at a party and I could make people laugh, maybe on Monday, they wouldn't kill me in the bathroom. That's so yeah. Survival, 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 survival. survival. And what did you do? Did you do anything? Yes. Survive. Um, I, I was just nose down. I mean, actually, I probably should have gotten beaten up when I was like in lower school because I was such a, a know-it-all. Like I was yeah. the kid in the back of the class who raised his hand every single time. And 
and they called me dictionary. It was like a nickname. I mean, right? And like somebody, <laughs> had it been not private school, I, I, I'm assuming somebody would have. So. Oh, well, he went to private school. I, I mean, you know, if you go to private school, you have a less higher, uh, you know, instance of, of getting beaten up in my, in my estimation coming from a public school. Yeah, I, w- I would say it was it was that and yeah, probably just good luck. But yeah, my, my, my wife went to public school. And when my kids, my kids now had like one strict teacher, like one lower school teacher who was a little mean, she's like, Scott, that was every single teacher, you know, right. it's like just a very different atmosphere of, of, of teachers and kids. But I think by, by the time I got to middle school, I remember that my dad once said, Scott, if they think you're crazy, if they think you're crazy, they won't mess with you. And I saw at certain times, I think I just, I watched him in action in a crazy situation where he's, he's a smaller guy than I am. And yet at some point sort of grew and got nuts and everyone just kind of backed off. So I think you can either go crazy or be funny. That's probably honestly. I think when you're funny, you get bigger. You 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 get more powerful in a in a room. Yeah, because not everybody is funny. No, but it's also scary. I mean, I I I know you you had Judy Gold on at some point, and I was at a show that she did maybe a month or two ago, and it was like a it was it he she just killed this guy. It was so funny. Somebody was they were talking about Peloton and the craziness of Peloton and, and somebody spoke up, said, Oh, I have one of those. And she said, you know, where, where, you know, like where, what room is it in? Oh, Oh, it's out East. And you know, we know what out East means, you know, Hamptons, but like we're in the, and she's like, Oh, out East. And like, she just went, Oh, and it just killed this poor guy. She's the funniest person. Judy Gold and I used to share the same therapist. (laughs) So, And at the time, so that, and when I would come out, she would be sitting there and I would be thinking to myself, who does he think is funny? Like, does he only see comedians? <laughs> and, and I would like, you know, I would, I would wonder which one of us is like going in there and cracking them up. It was a, uh, it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's, that's probably the, not the, uh, the internal chatter I'd want to have going to my therapist. I have, a yeah. business, I share a business coach with a couple of people. And I, you know, who's, who's more, uh, whose business is, you know, better. This is like better. You could have yeah, the youngest child thing just comes roaring through uh, the competitive, the competitive part of you. Yeah. Yeah. But Judy's hysterical. Did, hysterical. Now, that show was very funny. Did she, um, I'm sorry. Did you like, so you're going to shows in high school, you're kind of just absorbing comic timing or whatever. At what point did you get on stage, open mics or whatever? Um, I went to NYU to become an actress, to become a serious actress. Serious. Um, They're a league school. It's Tish is a very good program. And when I was there, you know, I kept getting casts in comedies or or I was in The Taming of the Shrew. I played the shrew, you know, my husband would say that's typecasting, but (laughs) still it was, you know, always what I got. And when I graduated NYU, I joined the Groundlings. And the Groundlings, you know, I mean, Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig, you know, a lot of really great people came out of the Groundlings and I loved improv. And when I was in the Groundlings, I got cast um, to host a talk show on Lifetime every day, kind of like The View, but with me and another woman. 
And, uh, you know, I was obviously the comedian. It was kind of like a waspy woman and me. So I was like the Semitic big mouth, you know. And I started doing stand-up all over the city after that. Because, you know, I realized where my bread was buttered, you know, where I was making money, where I was accepted. And I was basically doing it anyway, because my talk show was live, nationally live with a seven second delay for California in case I said fuck, which, you know, I wouldn't. Never. And, um, you know, so it was really kind of fun. And and uh, and I loved doing stand up. Um, and I, I did it up until, you know, I started having kids and I started writing and I was writing for other people. And, uh, you know, and eventually the show ended and I, I was writing and you realize you can write when you do stand up. And it's also very powerful, you know, to make a room of people laugh, like doing a national talk show to a million people is one thing, but making 30 drunks laugh in a room who can kill you or can speak back and talk back and heckle you. That's a, that's a powerful feeling. Now, when you did your stand up, I mean, doing a show like that, there's so much, you have to be so locked in and present to whatever is said. I mean, that back and forth is more, is more like, like you said, like doing, you know, sketch, not sketch comedy, but actually the, the, the improv kind of thing. How did that inform your comedy on stage? Was it, were you writing a lot of jokes or were you? I would write. I would like getting up and just kind of rolling with it and bombing. Well, on the show, I would do, I mean, incredible research on every person. So I knew every aspect of their lives. And then, and the show was live every day. So I, I didn't have a lot of time each night to go over five guests. I would write jokes. And I kind of watch Jimmy Fallon. I watch Colbert, watch them doing it. They lead the conversation to where they have a joke. And I can see it happening because I did it. Um, you can kind of, meaning like you can kind of see, you can see it happening like at a different level than the average watcher. Like you're like, okay, I can see, I can absolutely. see this. You can see. I mean, I used to love Gary Shandling's show, the Larry Sanders show, because it was everything that was going on in my life. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you ever saw it, but if you if you haven't seen it, just just watch all of them because it is one of the funniest shows ever. But it is about Gary Shandling having a talk show and what goes on behind the scenes and what goes on on camera. And um, I actually just wrote a, a screenplay about something involving a, a talk show host. But it is a very definitive talent. And I think that anybody in any profession and you should tell your team this should take improv classes because improv makes you better at everything. Everything. It's, it's, I, I always tell everyone, like, I'm a big brainstormer, right? Like, every, you know, when I have to think about something, I have to talk about it. Like, I can't just, I have to have a conversation about it. So a lot of times if I'm trying to figure something out, I have to call someone, talk it out because my, I don't know what I'm thinking about until I say it. It just, you must out. be so annoying to your wife. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, uh you'll have to ask her I, I, yeah she just has to hear you go on and on i mean i would say that with us yeah i mean i probably talk to a lot of other people as i'm okay I'm, good <laughs> i i spread it i spread out the irritation across many okay many, many folks but 
but it does seem like, um, yeah, it's that idea of yes and. You know, when you're when you're brainstorming, you just don't want to you just don't want to um, say no and shut down the creative. Absolutely. If you if you teach your kids, yes, and they will be better at job interviews, they will be better in in relationships to a certain degree, they will be better in the world, they'll be better at parties. Uh, My older daughter took an improv class because I suggested it and she's not in the arts and she really learned a lot. Yeah, you got to be on your feet. You know, if you're well, in you got to listen, you gotta listen, just, listen, 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 right. Totally. What people are saying to you, and then you'll come up with a good response. I think it's listening even more than anything. And and then that's probably good in relationships too, is listening. I also think, you know, when you're, when you say something out loud, sometimes you catch yourself and you're like, wait a minute, I just had this half a sentence and I'm not even sure how I'm going to finish it. It's almost like I'm having a schizophrenic moment where I say something and then I've got to find a way to finish the sentence myself. <laughs> you know, I know the feeling. I mean, I, you like, know, how but am when I going to finish the sentence, I don't know. I got to figure something out right now. So that well, I that's like why, half, you know, for stand up, when you, yeah. when you, when you learn to think on your feet is when you really really get to be a great stand-up. I, I think Jerry Seinfeld said that marriages and um, stand-up are the same in, in that it takes 10 years to become a beginner. So it takes 10 years to become a great comedian. It takes 10 years till you're there in the trenches of a relationship and and, and really can do the work. Now, so, you know, you got to practice that yes and. Now, yeah. How you were doing stand up and dealing with hecklers? How how is that? Did you feel like you you know what kind of grade do you give yourself when you uh when you're out there on stage? It sounds so, I mean I I was a bouncer. At, believe me, it's kind of funny to think of myself as a bouncer for any any club. But <laughs> did you think them out the door? You were like you know I've been thinking about it. A poetry jam is not the same thing as a poetry slam. Okay, let's just okay. a jam is when it's peace and love and everyone's just reading probably mostly terrible poetry. Right. Slam is when people are like aggressive, kind of like, you know, it might be a fist fight over a word or something. But but now and then a stand up comedian would get up in this, you know, probably inappropriate venue and just oh, three minutes and would occasionally mostly bomb. Mostly Mm. they would just not be great. But I I was never have I been so close up and gone. This is the hardest thing that exists on Earth. I think it is the hardest thing any human being can do. Yeah, I mean, I loved doing it and I felt like I was good at it, um, but I just, you know, didn't have it in me every single night to be out. I did it for years. Yeah. And then, you know, once you have kids, it's, it, it was harder for me personally to be out every night doing it. But did I think about it all day and stay up all night and stay up all night doing stand up and then like take care of the kids during the day? Yeah, I did that. Um, and, uh, you know, I also had a little uh, heat from having had a talk show. So it was it was really something that made me who I am. But do I feel like I have the energy to do it now? No, I don't. But uh, I admire everybody and I'm still a comedy nerd. You know, I still, I still love that. And I love doing the radio show. So, you know, when you do radio, it's really what you say. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't take out the same amount of time as going out to a club every night. You know how everybody thinks that every relationship is perfect. No relationships are perfect. No, of course not. People aren't perfect. 
but but somehow when they're looking for an apartment or they're looking for a spouse or they're looking for a, it's got to be the best 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 they forget it they forget all right i i do want to ask you about this because it's so in your in your travels as a relationship uh focused mm. conversationalist yeah people will focus so hard on what is wrong right what's wrong with this apartment all the things that are wrong what's wrong with this person right and they i in your like what do you see as how do people like get out of that kind of i call it the opposites mode right they only know what they don't like they don't they can't articulate what they like how you do know, you how do people get out of that and start to say this is what i'm looking for you know the thing is is that you know people have a list in their head they you know they want a certain distance to schools in real estate they want to you know parks they want views they want they want everything trap no traffic and in new york city you have to you have to have like a punch list and the stuff you're willing to give up because you're not going to get everything you want but if you can get the things that matter and the same thing in a relationship if you if you can get somebody who really likes you I didn't get that, but if you can, <laughs> it's really, you know, you will be happy there, but you really should have a top three. I think what matters to you most, right? Like, the you know, core. Know, like just come up with your core. What, what ceiling heights I can give up. All right. I'm giving up ceiling heights or, or I can, I can, I looks don't matter that much in a relationship. I, you know, if you want somebody you're attracted to, they don't have to be, Oh, people are so tough. And, and I keep saying that you have to take people for who they are. They're, they're human beings and, and, and find out what's interesting about this person and find out what they need to teach you. Why did you meet them? Same thing with apartments. If you find something that's 80% what you want, I'm not saying to settle in relationships. I'm really not because when yeah. you meet somebody, it's right. You know, it's right. And it feels right. But if you're, if you're comparing, you know, I, I keep drawing, you know, comparisons between real estate and, and relationships. I think it's the best. After. I think it's the best one. I think it's, it's as, as close, uh, an analog as you can get. Yeah. And I, I, I think you have to consider all, all the factors and, and take it seriously and follow your heart. I would follow my heart in terms of, you know, apartments I've bought. I walk in, I either feel it or I don't. Yeah. I'm going to feel it when idea, I walk. Right. This idea of like, I, I always say it's like an energetic match, right? Like if you, if, like I, it, when you're in a relationship that works, it like, it's a conversation that you never, I mean, fine. Somebody says, look, I need some time by myself. That's fine. That's normal. Have you like, spoke to my husband this morning? <laughs> Did he call you? Uh, I was just curious if he, no. <laughs> the, you know, it's a conversation that you don't get sick of, you know, it's not like fine now and then you, you know, it's your, you need a break or you need to go do something on your own. But at the same time, the house you live in, it just should feel right. Something about it should feel right. And you never get sick of hanging out there. And I always thought that I was the best client for a real estate broker because I or walk in and if I'm not interested, yeah. I'm like, all right, bye. I'm not wasting the broker's time who's there. I'm not wasting my broker's time. Right. If I like it, you're going to know. Right. The only, only thing that's important there is that if you can somehow say, and, and that's the hard thing, how do you articulate what it is that feels good or not? Right. Like you walk in, I don't like it. The broker is like, fine. What about it? Didn't you like, 
because you really think they care? I don't think they care. You really want to know why somebody doesn't like an apartment? I want to try to put it into the, into the mix. Like it's just information. Like I almost, the way I look at it is I want to get to know the person as much as I can, because then I can sort of like inhabit you as an energy. This gets very woo woo, but like your energy. So I can kind of try to put myself in your shoes and walk into a place that I think, I think she's going to like this. Wow. Even if it's something, even if it's something that's. You're a freaking great broker. Because I, of course I care. I want to understand it, but it's more like it's what you say and what you don't say. It's that whole conversation that sort of opens up like, you know, they talk about manifesting. Yeah. Like this whole thing. I really do think that if you are open, if you can get someone to open up about what they like and don't like and get to know them, then like the apartment kind of takes not takes care of itself a little bit. I think I, I think you're an exceptional broker because I don't think most brokers care. And I think a lot of them are 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 not vested the way you are. Um, but I do think it's smart because you're again, we go back to listening. You're listening so that you know that if the next apartment you show them is going to be an apartment they're going to like. And it must be a really great feeling to see something and go, okay, Jane is going to love this. You know, it's a good feeling. It's like making a match. I mean, we can be wrong. I'm wrong all the time, right? Yeah, but that's, I mean. But I have that, I have that sense. Okay, this could work. It's not a lack of trying. No, no, of course. All right, I I want to, I do want to keep talking about this and I want to kind of merge this idea of uh, relationships and and, and real estate a little bit more. I have a, I have a theory. I work with lots of single women, you know, high power, amazing, you know, they have amazing careers and you know, sometimes they have no interest, you know, they're not in a relationship. They don't want to be in a relationship. Sometimes they, they want to be in a relationship. You know, it's hard for me to know. I just sort of hear the stories here and there, but I have a theory that sometimes women who struggle in relationships, like need to find the right apartment that supports them. And then sometimes it like just unlocks the relationship piece. Like they find the, the apartment and then they find a relationship that works. Have you ever... That that's kind of you an agree, interesting disagree. Do you have any, any thoughts? I, I mean, I I think it's very hopeful. I like that com- that idea. <laughs> um, I think that that you know, in looking for an apartment, maybe when you can settle into a space that you feel your true self and and right. and feeds you, that yeah. maybe like maybe some of the barriers come down, and then you're more open to a relationship. But I I think it's a it's a neat concept. I, I would like to think that were true. Do you think it's true for men too, or just you just saying women? Oh no, I I think that I mean I've like, seen people like buy a okay, I'm I'm buying a two bedroom apartment, you know, because I, I I'm like I know that this is something's gonna work out for me and, and then I'm gonna get married and have kids or something, right? It's That's like great. somebody's like kind of dreaming into the future a bit. Well, I th- you know, I think buying an apartment is, is interesting because it's the first time somebody makes a commitment. It's right. a financial commitment. It's an emotional commitment. And they're vesting in something. So yeah. maybe after they get through that commit, commit, barrier. Commit to something, right. That's right, a, that, they can commit. That might be the answer there. It's the commitment yeah. piece. I'm, I'm like a mystic. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, I, I want to talk on the other side. Uh-huh. The other side. Um, if people renovate if people find their own apartment and then they want to renovate does it did it help your relationship did it hurt it do you know people who i know so many clients who've gotten 
divorced over renovation. All right. I have to tell you, I'm not your girl because I'm all about the renovation. Like, okay. first of all, if you can buy something and buy it cheap and create value by making it great, the renovation pays for itself. Well, that's that the money part. I'm not even. Yes, okay. the, that's that's great. I'm thinking like. The renovation as it relates to like people coming together. I have renovated place. and I thought that it would cause us to divorce. <laughs> right. And it really, and we didn't do it for years and years and years. And then when we did, it was the greatest thing we ever did. It was like nesting. Huh. And when you renovate, yeah. everything you want is, is where it's supposed to be. And it's when you renovate everything in the apartment is something you love. Right. So when you come in there, those doorknobs are doorknobs you picked and the cups go right where you wanted those cups to go and everything. And there is this wonderful, I mean, I mean, it sounds like you set me up, but I got to tell you, renovating was really a wonderful thing. And if you could afford to do it, or if you can buy something cheaper than you can actually afford and slowly renovate, I, I just think it's a great thing. I think if you have a bad relationship and you try and renovate, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to make it better. Yeah. It's, it may not end well. No. Yeah. It's, it's and and then what do you do, Scott? Then you're responsible. Oh, it's my, it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the broker. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I would say that I am, I'm like a, not just a fly on the wall in relationships. I am really, I get to sit there and listen to them. It's like, I meet people at their most stressed out. And right. And I, you know, if a relationship is like, eh, I, sometimes I know it. Yo, years, I'm sure you I know it years in advance. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'll have a client who they can't decide. They can't even agree. Like right. literally like they, they, they can't agree. Like Scott, we're just going to, you know, uh, extend our lease another year. And then I'm like, all right, well, we'll keep in touch. And, you know, as we get a little closer and then I'm like, oh yeah, we're getting divorced. I'm like, uh-huh. You were the right. people that couldn't make a decision. Right. I right. I could not get on the same page enough to make a decision. That's probably a, an interesting, uh, telltale. And it's also kind of scary because like if they, if they find a place and they're fighting and they want to renovate and then, you know, they're going to, they're going to be over, you should be like, no, 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 you, you shouldn't renovate. You should buy something fully yeah, you should buy something renovated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Don't, 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 don't do that. You want good karma. Just, just yeah. steer them where they need to go. No, I think that's, I think that's, um, I think that's probably a good, a good uh, piece of advice. I, I, I would say in, intuitively, I, I'm trying to think how many times have I sold something to someone going, oh, they're going to sell this in like a year. Oh I, God. I had a client who, I had a client who, um, who was freaked out about mold and yeah, smoke. I can freak out about that. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's a, why did the apartment have mold in it? No, it didn't. They, they did testing. Oh. They made sure, you know, and they, they did all the proper stuff and then they bought it. And then I want to say a week later, the husband called and he's like, you're not going to believe this. My wife is convinced there's smoke. I'm like, there's no smoke. I mean, there's no smoke. There's no smell of smoke coming in the apartment. She's convinced and we have to sell it. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I feel horribly, right? But sure enough, you know, we sold the apartment. Just well. I hate smoke, but I have to tell you, she, she never, and, and he must have been a great husband. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're just, out of, okay. We're out of here. We got to sell it. Sorry. We got to go. I'm, yeah. I'm never having sex again in this smoke filled joint. Let's get out. <laughs> okay. There we go, honey. We're selling. Yeah. It yeah was, it was, that was it. It was, now, um, 
you've been living, you know, I, I guess I just want to talk about co-op life and then we can wrap this up. Okay. Um, you know, co-ops versus condos, you know, do, do co-ops appreciate um, having very funny people in their communities? Does that, does that, do you get to uh, use, do you end up dropping more curse words or making people laugh in the context of, of where of I live, life, of, of living in a community of, in a co-op. Like I don't speak to people. I, just, I, I'm very, keep your, keep your I, I keep myself. I, it's funny. I, you know, if you know me, yeah, it's different, but yeah, you know, I, I tend to be kind of like, you know, quiet and to myself when I'm home. I just think anonymous, that, you just walk in and like, I just do my thing. And yeah, I think the doorman like me, I, I always try to make the doorman laugh because they're working yeah. and I like, I like doormen. Right. The you and the super are tight. You and the staff are tight. Love my super. Right. right. Love the doorman. I mean, these guys are like workers. They need a laugh once a day. So I, I'll make them laugh at least once a day. And Got I won't, it. I won't curse because that would defend my husband. I see. Well, you've got a book coming out. Yeah. A, now, is the podcast going? Is it is it going now or is it on so the podcast and coming back? Really when the um, pandemic happened, um, we had an animated series that was being made about the podcast. A really well-known uh, animator contacted me, and he wanted to make an animated series based on relationships or a motherfucker yeah. where I'd be talking to Larry David or Dennis Leary yeah. about relationships and something crazy that they would tell me that honestly oh, happened it, in their lives. Oh, and it would launch and it into would, like a cartoon or something. Yes. Oh and my God. So so I've been working on that and I just finished writing a book. And when the pandemic happened, I, I found it very hard to do um, the podcast via Zoom because with comedy, there's like just even that slight delay yeah. made a difference to me. So we're going to be starting up soon. But uh, yeah. it, I also didn't want to be flippant when the uh, when the pandemic first happened. It seemed to ignore what was going on in the world. It seemed um, self-serving, and I didn't like that. So okay. yes, yeah, so we're, we're we're coming back soon. I'm I'm trying to do everything. Well, it's good you can do you can you can do the virtual here because I'm just not that funny. So it's not that the comic timing is. But you're charming. Scott. Anything you can do here that makes us laugh is like well, infinitely better than just you're me on my own. I'm too serious. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're not, and and you 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 go with the joke. You're very good. I got to roll. I'm, I yeah. got to roll with it. Yes. And yes. And I told a story. I told a story that I tripped over a sidewalk cellar while I was running. I literally flipped it. I was flying in the air running on the sidewalk. And I somehow did a tuck and roll. Have you ever seen a tuck and roll? I'm like, how did that happen? Wow. I mean, I'm short. So I kind of like, it was like kindergarten gymnastics class. Did you roll to standing? I rolled and like, I landed like I was starting a track race. Oh, I thought you landed and your your arms went up like you know. I, I, I jumped. Did I, get away, a I, I tucked my head and like wow. Rolled Were you on the injured? No, I wasn't even scraped. It was the craziest thing ever. So yes, yeah, on I, concrete. I, on concrete. My friend looked at me and was like, "What in the hell just happened?" I'm like, "I have no idea. No idea. No idea how that happened." But I'm very grateful to be able to roll with it occasionally. I'm grateful. For, I'm grateful too that you're okay. Thanks, Susan. All right. Well, it's great talking to you. Thanks for taking some time. You're good welcome. Luck with, good luck with the with the book. Relationships are a motherfucker. See, I said it. I said it. You did. You, did. you said, said motherfucker with motherfucker. gusto. I love yeah. it. And so we'll we'll definitely um, 
we'll have some fun listening to it. Keep I can't wait to hear more episodes because those are so funny. And you get these comedians we know to say to talk about things we would never hear anywhere else. Really? So that's really it's cool. really great because it's it's better not to hear people do their their material, yeah, but right. really hear these blunt, raunchy comedians talk honestly yeah. about their relationships. Nothing Brilliant. better. Brilliant. Anyway, right. good seeing you. Thank you. Yep. Take it easy. Take care. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Susan Korn. Susan, thank you for being patient with our crazy technology blow up, flare up beginning of our recording which we somehow managed to stay calm and overcome if you like what you hear make sure you're subscribing to where, to us wherever you're listening to podcasts just push that subscribe button share the podcast with friends thanks for keep sending me keeping on sending me guest ideas it's really fun to talk to funny people i want to talk to more funny people thank god susan's hilarious finding home is produced by andrea pollock And we will see you soon here or wherever you're checking us out. Have a great day.